0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And folks, that is how yesterday's double IHF Women's World Championship should have ended with Finland getting their first win. But, as we all know now, that didn't happen. But trust me folks, we will get to that later on in this show. But before we dive into all the great stuff we have to talk about here today on April the 15th, Please use the hashtag TheKillPodcast to talk about this show and tweet us at TheKillPodcast on what you think about all the sorts of crazy topics we're going to talk about here today. Playoffs are well underway. Of course, round one. Most teams are already three games in, a couple of games here tonight that are game three, so a lot of series can get opened up. We will get to that, though, shortly. But we do have some news here, some breaking news, that is. No, not the Nazem Kadri debacle. We'll get into that in just a minute. However, announced earlier today, the Philadelphia Flyers found their new head coach, Alain Vigneault, staying in the Metro Division after getting fired by the New York Rangers. Will stay in that division, going with the Philadelphia Flyers. And this could be a big thing for Philly, obviously. You have an experienced coach that does have a track record of winning. Not necessarily winning the big game, of course, with closest coming in 2011 with the Canucks. But nonetheless, having an experienced coach in there could really help a lot of the young talent. For the Flyers get moving forward and moving in the right direction, hopefully become the playoff team that they want to be. But I mean, that's just going to be big for them here moving forward. But we have a lot to talk about here in these playoffs here. Obviously, like I said, I'm by myself here. Alex is busy. He is getting ready for finals and such for schooling because, you know, that's kind of a big deal because let's be honest, folks being smart and getting a degree is very important. This is coming from a college dropout, mind you. But nonetheless, here, hopefully we'll get him on later this week or next week for sure because I know he's got a lot of things to say as well, as we all know. But we'll start off in the Western Conference. I know we do East to West usually, but with the way this show is going to go, the way the show is going to flow, we got to talk about the West. Nashville and Dallas. You know, this is a series that I was thinking just the way Dallas up front could not hang with Nashville's, the way that game one went was exactly how I thought it was going to be. I thought Ben Bishop was going to play really well. He was going to be the difference maker, and he was. And he was a real difference maker in game two. Dallas was able to get timely scoring. Tyler Sagan, of course, was big in those first two games in Nashville. And like I said, getting a win in Smashville, let alone game, just getting one win, especially if you're a team like Dallas who doesn't have a whole lot of expectations trying to get back into, just getting back into being in the playoffs consistently, Mira Heiskanen looked pretty good in his first couple of games as a rookie, which is obviously big for his development. And just getting that first win, Bishop playing well, was really important. And Dallas getting the win, eliminating the home ice advantage in this series for the Preds, that's going to pay off dividends here if they can make this a longer series. Of course, game two, being able to come back and get the win in overtime, that was really important as well. I should mention right now, folks, before I get too much further into this series, uh, the Leafs and Bruins are obviously live right now. It's seven nineteen Eastern Standard Time. This is Game Three, first game back in Toronto. Uh, we'll get to that series later, but it's one of those things. If I do get a little exuberant, I do apologize in advance. But like I said, Nashville and Dallas. I like. I mean, going back to Dallas, I don't know if they have a home ice advantage. You know, the way they. I mean, it's not the twenty years ago when they were in the old Reunion Arena. And for those of you who are old enough to remember how loud that building would get when the Stars were in the playoffs, especially when they were in the finals, that was a ruckus crowd. That was comparable to how Smashville is nowadays. You know, a, a non traditional hockey market in the South that was loud with a really good hockey team and a really good goaltender, too, as they had out of Belfort, don't forget. So I just don't know in the American Airlines Arena, American Airlines Center, excuse me. I just don't think they have the same type of home ice advantage. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still a good team, and I expect a lot of people from Nashville going down there, so it's going to be a pretty split crowd. And I'm saying that. I'm hoping Dallas fans hear this, and hopefully they prove me wrong. I would like to see I, – I that's the best part about having these games, and the point of home ice advantage is playing in these series and having the home crowd go nuts for you. If you don't have that in a series, it's very difficult to win. That's why Arizona, whenever they made their runs – in the early 2010s, even when Mike Smith dragged them to the conference final, they didn't have that crazy crowd. I mean, when Detroit beat them in 2010, everyone remembers that classic seven-game series. It was Detroit with seven home games. Maybe except for game one or two in in Phoenix. It was still Phoenix, by the way, even though they were playing in Glendale. But just looking back at it now, it's it was so split and even more favorable to the road team, and even when you during the regular season. So... Whether or not Dallas will have the home ice advantage games three and four, that'll be tough. But I think, like I said, Ben Bishop's going to have to keep playing. And Nashville knows what they got to do. Just keep getting pucks at the big guy, keep putting pucks at him, making him move. He's not the most agile goaltender. Like I said, he's six foot four, or excuse me, six six, six, seven. He's huge. If he was my height, he would not be an agile goaltender. I'm six foot two, by the way. So I'm not a tiny little kid, but. You can tell that if he was, if he had, he would have to be much more agile. Imagine if he was agile. That's why I say Matt Shogard is going to be a great goaltender when he makes it up. Nonetheless, Nashville, they got game two, played a little bit better. Dallas is hanging in there with one of the best teams. Nashville's power play is really, really going to have to get it along here. PK Subban's going to have to be the difference. I just, he's been, and I know, I don't want to say he's been an afterthought for the Preds this year. And he had a, you know, he had a pretty good games one and two, but he's gonna have to really step up here if the Preds want to make it back towards the conference finals to the Stanley Cup finals. Not just let alone, not just in this series, but moving forward. And like I said, Dallas's decor is really has, they did a really good job. I mean, Philip Forsberg I and they peppered him with shots. And yes, when you have Ben Bishop back there, yes, your defense will have confidence in themselves. They're gonna play a little bit harder, play a little bit tougher in front of their goaltender, but they know that they can give up that opportunity. Now, whether or not Nashville's gonna be able to break it open one of these games, that is for me remain foreseen. I still am thinking Nashville's gonna win this series, but Dallas is really, really gonna show their stuff here. They're gonna really turn a lot of people's heads and show, wow, you know, this is a team that deserves to be reckoned with. That should not be should not be played with lightly. So I'm looking forward to how the two games go in Dallas. Game three is at nine thirty tonight on here this Monday night. And that's gonna be a big game four for sure. Staying in the Central Division. Kind of a shocker. Well, I don't want to say a huge shocker, because I picked St. Louis, but St. Louis up 2-1 on Winnipeg. Now, let's go back to when they were in Winnipeg, up up there in Manitoba. The Blues came out and did exactly what they needed to do. They didn't need to win by flashy ways. Jordan Winnington, yes, Winnington, did his part, and he did it fantastic. He stood on his head just like he did when the Blues literally just He pretty much is the reason why The Blues are in the playoffs. I love, listen, I love Jake Allen. Great guy. Good. He works hard. He worked so hard to get back. Remember last year, or a couple years ago, he got sent home because he was having, you know, confidence issues and a little bit down on the dumps. And he came back and helped the Blues get to the playoffs. But Jordan Bennington's gone in there and really stepped up and has become the number one goaltender. And I know Don Cherry says a lot of lucrative things and a lot of ludicrous things that people go, "What in the world is this man, old man, talking about?" Listen, Don Cherry made a really good point saying Jordan Bennington should be considered for the Calder. I, I wish I was, I wish I could say something different, but he's been absolutely outstanding. He's the only reason why St. Louis is as good as they are, and especially those first two games too. He made a lot of huge saves against a Winnipeg attack that did not let up at all. I mean, you look at the, I mean, despite the amount of goals that they gave up. He made a lot of big saves in those first two games. And they go back to St. Louis. And you know what Winnipeg does? They show off their speed and their skill on the road. That's huge. That was a necessary win last night for the Blues, or excuse me, the Jets in St. Louis. And you know what? Up until that third period, too, it was a really tight-knit game. St. Louis made it a one-goal game, but the Jets just continued to press on. And that's what's big in the series, was that. You know, despite knowing that you're down 2-0, despite the fact that, hey, St. Louis has the firepower to come back and tie the game up like that despite being down 2, Winnipeg bunkered down, and they got the job done. They came back with a huge goal. Lowry got a big goal. Um, Tano had a huge goal as well. And, of course, the goal by Bufflin, the one from behind the goal off Binnington's head. Everyone kind of jokes. Everyone kind of gets mad about that, shooting the puck purpose at the goaltender's head. listen. Boys, it's the playoffs. Boys and girls, it's the playoffs. You do what you need to do to score. If you if it means taking a slap shot from behind the goal line towards bodies in front and hope, and maybe it goes off your own teammate's Achilles heel, take him out for the season, but it goes in the net to win the game, you do that. If it means taking a bad angle shot like Bobby Hall used to do near a goaltender's head to maybe see if it bounces off and goes in, absolutely you do that. You do what you need to do. Bufflin did that and it helped out. They got the win six three in a wild third period. And it was huge for the Jets. Now they have some confidence going into game four, and they have the opportunity to eliminate St. Louis' home ice advantage, which they stole from the Jets in games one and two. Now, whether or not how the game goes, I think you're going to expect a much better bounce-back performance from Bennington. I mean, let's be honest. Like I said, how great he was in games one and two. He did show he was mortal, and I really think that you can't you can't take into consideration. The kids are rookie. He's playing playoffs four, played in juniors, played in the American League in playoffs. It's different here in the NHL, and nobody's going to doubt that. Nobody's going to say no to that. But, man, if he comes out and plays a good game four, Winnipeg's going to be on the line. Their season's going to be on the line going back home, which, you know what, helping is that you're down 3-1, but, yes, you have game five at home, which is obviously big. But I expect Winnipeg, with their momentum going into game four, to use it. Keep line A going. Line A is on a hot streak. I haven't said that since 2017. I mean, let's be honest here, guys. It's He has been, he's had a really good breakout here. Just line A out there. Wheeler's getting into it. Um, by the way, Wheeler passing Mark Savard for most assists all uh, in one single season be- between the Thrashers and Jets franchise history. Just a little, little dumb fact for you, even though it's the Jets and not the Thrashers, but nonetheless, I'm looking forward to another Height game four. And the best part is this, you know, it's a it's a tough series. You have St. Louis who likes to bang bodies. They have a good tough defense in front of Bennington. The same thing with Winnipeg. I know they their lack their depth was a little bit in question when you saw Buffalo go down for an extended period of time. But they got their act together, and I like the way how the series is going to play out. This could be a deep series. However, like I said, St. Louis could win tomorrow night, and then they could go back to Winnipeg in game five and get the job done. But then again, who knows? Hockey, the playoffs are weird. The playoffs are dumb, as we'll talk about in some other series later on in the show. Calgary and Colorado. Now, this is a quite an interesting series. You watch game one, and I remember, you remember last week when I said, Mike Smith's going to be the guy, but I, you hope that he, he doesn't have to be relied on. Game one against Colorado. Holy cow. Mike Smith need to be relied on? He made some huge stops, made some good-looking saves too, flashing that leather, that glove hand that I've seen multiple times from him. He looked fantastic, played really good. I like, I mean, just having, just when he's confident, when he's confident, when he's into the game, that's when Mike Smith's dangerous. That's the same Mike Smith we saw back in 2012, which, by the way, was before the last lockout. I mean, he was, he was solid, he was confident, he was moving the puck well, he was agile, he was getting into it, getting a little feisty around the net, you know? I mean, within reason, of course. Game two got, I don't want to say got a little carried away, but he got a little more feisty, which I don't want to say costed him, but I like to think that they played a lot better. I want to say that game by Calgary was perfect. I don't, I, I don't want to say it's perfect because Colorado got a lot of chances, but Mike Smith was there when he needed to be, and that's why... Mike Smith, I think, he almost, I don't say put the doubters to rest. That's going to be determined here in Game 3 tonight. But he really showed some people that, you know what, I, I may have been bad in the regular season, but he still has it. So going to Game 2 now against these two, once again, Colorado puts up the shots. 39 shots on goal against the Flames. Mike Smith does everything he can once again. And this one then goes to overtime. And by the way, JT Comfer, holy cow, how about this kid? Just working. This guy was his everything he had in game two. Gets the tying goal late to tie the game. Well, not late, only about two and a half minutes left. But he was just solid. He was, I mean, it was a plus one. He kept working. Yeah, it was, he was getting in there. He was hitting. He was getting in the way, blocking shots, making plays in the defensive zone, creating offense, as you can tell, with the goal. I mean, putting him with there with Landeskog and Rantanen, that's going to be... <laughs> I mean, you have Rantanen and Landeskog, two of the most skilled players on the team, then Comfort, who's just flying around the ice like a bat out of you-know-where. And then, of course, you go to overtime, and Nathan McKinnon gets the winner. Just showing that Colorado, they're not out of this series, which really makes it an interesting series. Now, going back to Colorado is, once again, another home team, another team with home ice advantage, losing that home ice advantage because of a really good game by the road team, by the lower seat. And let's be honest, folks. Calgary was, I don't want to say Calgary was going to dominate this series, but you would thought they would have won the first two games in Colorado, may have gotten one at home, game three or four, to make it just show, hey, the home crowd a little interesting. But now we have some substance here. Of course, the big news is coming out of the NCAA tournament, following, by the way, congratulations to University of Minnesota Duluth, back-to-back. NCAA Men's Division One Ice Hockey champions. They defeated the UMass Minute, which which had 2019 Hobie Baker winner, Kale McCarr. And if you guys don't remember, we when I had Harrison Watt on last week talking about the Frozen Four, he was pretty certain that it was going to be Kale McCarr as well, who, I mean, he's an exceptional defenseman, really good at puck movement, and he did so in a very, very tough Hockey East conference. I mean, there's no question that Hockey East... They're still one of the power four conferences, and UMass, who I don't want to say was led by Makar, but that team would be a different – I don't think that team would have made it to the Frozen Four without Makar. Without the difference he makes playing on the back end defensively and offensively, he's got extremely good skill, very good puck, moving, we can get pucks to the net. But the, the word was – because remember, that game Saturday night between Colorado and Calgary was a uh, 10 o'clock, 10.30 game, West Coast game or 9.30, I think it was, because it was in Calgary. The Minnesota-Duluth-UMass game got done around the same time that game started. And the, the word I'm hearing around, the whispers around from fellow, uh, fellow insiders I've talked to, was that Kale McCarr was not going to sign this season. He was not going to blow a year of eligibility if Colorado had lost game two. Simply because of the fact that the series pretty much would have been over, Well, not over, but Colorado would have only played a few games. Now that Colorado won that game, they think they have a chance, and they're going to want a guy like Makar on the back end, adding more depth. Now now you say, well, how is this kid going to make this jump? It's a huge jump, absolutely. I'm not going to doubt that in the slightest. But the thing is about it, we saw it before, Danny DeKaiser, if you folks remember back, and I believe it was 2013, he came in, had a great year at Western Michigan, Glenn Healy on every single week of Hockey Night Canada. I swear to goodness, he was pulling out highlights of this kid. Really good defenseman, looked really well. And you know what? He he played well. Got He's he already drafted by Detroit, signed with Detroit, went into the playoffs. Didn't play a whole lot of minutes, of course, but he was given a good opportunity. And then after they got eliminated by Chicago that year, went on to go play for the Calder Cup winning Rams Griffins. And yes, now maybe his career's not panned out as he would have hoped. Obviously, Detroit's taking a dip, and DeKaiser's been put in maybe a little bit more of a, more difficult situations than he would have liked to have been. But this could be a different story here. Because now think about it this way. You're going to game three, you're going back to Colorado. So now your home team has the last line change, and Jared Bednar is not going to throw Cale McCarr in a tough you know, five minutes to go or you or know, last shift of a period in defensive zone faceoff. He, you can shelter his minutes. You can kind of hide him. You can put him up against the fourth line. You can see who gets thrown out there. I'm like, all right, McCarr, get him. I don't expect McCarr to get any more than 12 minutes tonight against Calgary. I don't expect Kale McCarr to get more like anywhere more than 10. 10 would be a stretch, especially in his first game in the National Hockey League. I mean, let's put it this way. Yes, you play the highest level of collegiate hockey, but now you're taking a step to the NHL. That's a huge step. Like I said, DeKaiser looked all right course, in shelter time. I mean, whether or not Jack Hughes makes an immediate impact next year for wherever he goes, so which will where excuse me, when he gets drafted by New Jersey Devils, of course he'll be probably playing with Taylor Hall, so that'll probably help. But I really like to see where how this kid plays, what kind of minutes he plays, where does he what what situations he get put in. Obviously, like you said, there's time and a place for development. Obviously, it's not right now because of the fact that you're trying to win a series. McCar will get his time; he'll get his minutes. Now, what position will he be put in? He'll probably be a five-six guy. He won't get a whole lot of opportunities. Defensive zone—he won't get many defensive zone draws. I've seen that before. I remember when—I remember a couple years ago, 2017, when Jake Gardner even though he's a veteran defenseman by this point in the league, at least five or six years playing with the Leafs. I think it was his fifth year, pardon me, the 2017 playoffs, 2016-2017 season. I don't think he was ever on the ice for a defensive draw. That's because Babcock saw him as an offensive weapon. Morgan Riley, remember how bad of a year he had statistically? The only reason why he had such a bad year was because he was taking every defensive zone draw. And it was obviously tough because you know he was playing out there with You know, a little bit with Polak here and there. And he got put on the ice with Hunwick here and there. And, I mean, yeah, his numbers weren't great. So, I like to think that McCarr, I don't think he's going to make an impact, but it's going to be interesting to see the jump he makes. And in terms of Calgary coming into Game 3, they're going to have to just work a little harder. They saw what Colorado's bringing to the table in Games 1 and 2. They're going to have to step up. They're going to have to realize that this Colorado team, who literally got on their high horse and streaked into the playoffs, with their clothes on, by the way, I had to give you guys a second there to kind of think that one through to make sure you got that. You got it? Okay, cool. Moving on. I really like to think Calgary's going to come out with a lot better effort. Kind of similar to how Winnipeg did last night. Obviously, Winnipeg was down 2-0 where Calgary was split in the first two games. Mike Smith's going to have to stay huge. He's going to have to keep up his big play. But I really like to think Calgary's going to come out with game three tonight. But game four will be another tight game. I think this all the rest of the remaining games of this series – will be a very tight contest. I'm going to be excited here. I think it's going to be tight, fast, and physical, within reason, of course, because neither of, these teams, neither of these teams are really too... It's more of the back ends that are both physical for both these teams. But it's going to be interesting. Moving over to the San Jose-Vegas series. When I said that this was going to be the series to watch, along with Winnipeg and St. Louis, I was serious. And boy, has it been fun to watch. Game one... San Jose somehow wins. And I don't say somehow, but like I said, Martin Jones, I'm just not so confident in I really, I like, listen, I like his game. I like the way he plays, how hard he plays. But man, I really thought that's, I didn't think San Jose was going to whoop him like that in game one. 5-2. The way San Jose's been playing all year, they were going to have to rely on their offense. They were going to have to rely on the players in front of them. But then game two comes around and then San Jose got, I don't want to say shell. It was a five, three game, but they really, San, I mean, the first period was nuts. The first period was probably one of the craziest periods I think I've ever seen in recent memory. I'm, I guarantee you I'm going to end the show and be like, Oh wait, there was this other game. Let's, Vegas goes up 3-0, and then somehow in the latter half of the period, San Jose ties it up 3-3. And just, gosh, that game was just nuts. And then Mark Stone gets a goal, a power play goal in the second to put him up, and then a shorthanded goal by William Carlson on Aaron Dell. Don't forget, yeah, because Aaron Dell, remember, got pulled after that third goal that Martin Jones allowed. And, and like I said, Jones was the worst starting goaltender Coming into these playoffs. And he just did not look good at all. Twenty-three shots against or for the knights in the entire game, or twenty three shots on goal for the knights the entire game. I just man, and he only stopped. I think he stopped four out of four out of six was? Or four out of seven? Gosh, guys, I mean, that's your starting goaltender. And DeBoer was trying to say, hey, we're going to rally around our goaltender, blah, 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 before the playoffs, trying to install some false confidence, clearly. I want him to be better. I thought Martin Jones. I remember when I said, I, my first, first time I started writing my, creating my blog, I put Martin Jones and Aaron Dell as one of the top, one of the better goalie tandems in the league. I did a rank on all 31, and I did not think that this tandem was going to be so bad. They had an incredible year. Last couple of seasons together. But they just fallen off this year. Now, whether or not that's just, you know, bad luck, having an off year, I mean, we'll see how that one goes next year. But holy cow, I don't I don't know what to expect from this team anymore. From these goaltenders at least. And then last night, game three, San Jose was in that hockey. I mean, San Jose apparently was on the ice, but holy cow, T Mobile Arena was rocking once again. I mean it's it's an incredible atmosphere. I suggest I have not been to it before when I watch from the T V, from just watching it and listening to it. It's an incredible atmosphere. I would love to go. If you're anywhere near Vegas, Nevada, Utah, California, Arizona. Yes, you Arizona. I mean New Mexico, go up to Las Vegas to watch a night talking game. Even the regular season. If you can't make it to these playoffs, go next year. It's an incredible atmosphere. It's awesome because the crowd's going nuts. And, of course, it helps that Mark Stone scores 16 seconds in before you could even think about the crowd. Oh, my goodness. The Stone, pacuretti line, and Stasi line, which has been huge and I mean, which was, you know, big parts of Games 1 and 2, at least Game 2 in particular, was dynamite last night. They exploded. I didn't, th- the Sharks didn't even have a chance. The fact that they got any goals in particular was amazing. I didn't think that team even had a chance. Yes, they got a pair of goals towards the end of the game to make it a little hairy, a little interesting. But, boy, boy, oh boy! Did I mean Mark Stone gets a hatty? By the way, Mark Stone six goals now has more goals than the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mark Stone, who was traded and signed by George, George McPhee, knows what he's doing, guys. This guy is no joke. Uh, Everyone's kind of chuckling at him when he took on this Vegas gig and thinking how bad could it be and whatnot. But oh boy, I just oh gosh, that wasn't inc- that was a fun game to watch last night. Stazzy gets two goals in the second period. Patrik gets a huge power play goal late in the first period, later on in the first period to give his second of the series. But man, Mark Stone—he and of course don't forget three goals in the first minute. So. Sh- so Stone scores 16 seconds in the first period. Stasny, 21 seconds into the second period. Stone again, 36 seconds into the third period. I mean, then the, yeah, the Sharks made it interesting with Couture and Meyer scoring in the third to make it 5-3, but man, dude. If this Vegas team keeps it up, wow, I it's going to be a tough series for San Jose. I mean, I thought last year's series was physical and tough, and I thought San Jose had a better chance last year than they do this year of beating Vegas. This year, I'm not so confident in the Sharks, which takes us towards the end of the hockey game. Vegas is on their way to winning, getting the job done, going up in the series by a score of 2-1. Puck's in the corner in the San Jose end. Thomas Nosick with the puck. Former Graham Griffin, Thomas Nosick. Thornton's coming on by. Nosick's kind of in a weird position, and Thornton catches him upside the head. We're going to talk about another headshot here a little bit later on in the show, but let's just kind of discuss this here for a second. It's a headshot. Clear headshot. There is no reason to determine anything different. And Thornton, he's had some discipline before. Nothing egregious, but he's had issues in the past, okay? The problem I have here with this hit is not exactly what happened. It's what happened after the game, post-game. Joe Thornton is asked about the hit, of course, because you know why? Because Joe Thornton, Joe Thornton's always, you know what, he's one of the better guys in this league to get a quote from. Win or lose, I mean, he's a leader, he's been a captain before, he's a captain of Boston, he's been a captain with the Sharks. He knows what it takes to, to how to be with the media. But here's what he said after when he asked about the NOSA kid. I, on, quote, I honestly thought I barely touched him. I think my son hits me like that six times a day, end quote. He also said, that Nosek was kind of in an awkward position, shouldn't have been there. What is he not supposed to be there for, Joe? He's in the corner battling for the puck. Don't, yes, it's 6-3, to three, and yes, they're going to win. But you still play the game. You don't let up for no reason. Come off it, dude. You hit him in the head. Now, you can say whether or not he tried to get out of the way. Thornton didn't, He didn't jump out of the way. He didn't stop. He didn't lift his arm to make sure he went under him. He hit him. There's been no word yet from the NHL player safety as of now whether or not they're going to have a hearing with them. They were talking about the whole cadre thing. Like I said, we'll get to that. But you should be able to announce that, hey, we're going to talk to Joe. Now, whether or not it's an in-person hearing, I think it should be an over-the-phone hearing, only a couple, two or three games. But you got to do something. Yes, Nosik got up and was okay. So maybe it'll only get down to one just because of the fact that, yes, Nosik was okay, which I'm never a fan of that rule, but I'll allow it on the base of, you know, past, past discipline. But that's a head check. That's a head shot. There's no question about it. Mark Savard on Hockey Central at noon today on Sportsnet 590, or, you know, on Sports Network or NHL Network, wherever you are, east or north and south of the border. Savard wanted to defend him, but he saw it again. He looked and he said, you know what? Yes, that's a head check. And Savard, as we all know, folks, there's a reason why he's not playing the game anymore because he knows a thing or two about taking a head check. It's a head shot. Is it a brutal one? No, Nosik was okay. He'll he'll be to, he'll be back tomorrow night. But there should be a call. There should be some. There should be something from the league, which, like I said, I've had issues with. I don't like. I don't like how things are ran because George Peros, Mister Clean Slate, George Peros somehow is running the show. It should be two guys. It should be more than just one person with the deciding vote. But I don't know what to do in in this situation because I don't know what they sh- I don't know what they're looking for. I'm not saying defend Nosik. Or just going to be Thornton. But look at where it is. It's a headshot. Whether or not it's a bad one or not, there should be some display in action, and not a fine either. Do not fine him. A fine is a joke. We all know this. I mean, that's going to be talked about in the next CBA, but a fine right now is a joke. It's got to be a suspension. There's got to be some form, some bar set, no matter what, no matter how bad the check is, no matter how bad. I, I just don't know what to expect from this league anymore. It, if a headshot, it's a headshot. It should be a suspension, Yes, you get two minutes for head contact, but you can't say, oh, we call him for a penalty, so it's okay. No, that's not how it works. You hit a guy in the head. Now, I get it if you give him a five in a game, like, early on, so then, yes, it counts as kind of a game. I do understand that logic behind the decision. But this is late in the game. It's a two-minute penalty. There should be some repercussions from this. Wait to see on here about that. Obviously, we'll, we'll... keep you all in touch on our social media and at the Q podcast on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. But it's going to be, the series ain't going to get any, any less physical. Of course, Kane and Reeves fought shortly after that because Reeves was looking for Thornton. But of course Reeves came out with a good quote. Uh, I I can't, I don't have it up with me right now, but it was talking about how, how when he, he responded to Thornton's comments about not quite seeing, didn't think it was that bad. And he, Reeves compared him to his grandfather. Doesn't have good sight. It doesn't have, has pretty bad eyesight. I mean, let's be honest. That's why I, I love the tough guys. They're always good for quotes. They're always great reads, especially. Um, of course I met Darren McCarty before a very loving, talkative guy, but guys like that, they're just fun to talk to. And especially in the heat of the moment like this, they're going to come up with those funny ones that are kind of get you chuckling or as the kids call roasted these days, but We'll see how the rest of the series plays out, but if Vegas offensively dominates San Jose, San Jose could do all the physical cheap stuff they want to try to slow down this Vegas offense. I don't see it. The speed is going to kill once again. It's going to be tight. So moving over now to the East, and one of the games actually going on right now because they're at the end of the first period between Leafs and Bruins, they turned over to the Carolina-Washington game, which, by the way, may not be no storm surge in these playoffs, but, man, the crowd All you people that joke about Carolina not having a a heavy fan base. By the way, after game two, I don't know if you guys saw this, after Washington won, the row of fans as the team was coming back to the arena after the game on Saturday. The crowd of fans in Raleigh to greet their team. You don't see that in Toronto. You don't see that in Boston. You don't, I mean, unless the team wins a championship. And yes, Toronto fans and people are saying, "Oh, Toronto fans, what do I know about that?" Okay, shush, we get it. Of course, TFC won in their home field, so I guess we didn't really have to wait. Nonetheless, I I love Carolina's fans, man. I was kind of, I mean, if you guys remember shows from earlier in the season, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of cool. But I'm like, is, is this really going to last? It's lasted. I mean, they got to the playoffs, so. Uh, they're up one right, up one nothing right now against Washington. Of course, they need to get a win here because Washington is up 2-0 on Carolina. Game 1 was really interesting for the Caps. Of course, it you know, it's funny. Watching that first game, it was hard to think, and Carolina fans don't take this the wrong way, it was hard to think that this was not like game like 62 of the regular season in like February simply because of the fact that, you know, Carolina and Washington, given the fact that Carolina isn't a playoff team, you know, playing in the playoffs. And it looked like that, too. Washington looked very comfortable in game one. Carolina had a little bit of effort there, but I, you could just tell Washington was much more comfortable than Carolina was. Carolina was not used to being in that kind of atmosphere, especially in game one. But in game two, they came out a lot better. Mrazic made some really big stops. Holy cow, Shveshnikov and Ovechkin got into a fight. Oh, and Ovechkin clocked him. Oh, and Svesh got knocked. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Guys, okay, sorry, side note here. Evgeny Shveshnikov got into a fight with Ovechkin and got knocked, and he is out. Boy, boy, oh boy. That could be a huge loss for the Hurricanes because obviously he got knocked and he looked a little a little wobbly-legged there. That's concussion protocol. Boy, oh man, especially in a game where the Hurricanes seem to win. And and I, yeah, don't get me wrong, I understand that. You know the Hurricanes weren't really favored in this series, but man, I mean, Shveshnikov's has got knocked around all series too. But man, that's tough. If that, if that's, I don't want to say permanent, but if that's long term and he doesn't get back the rest of the series, that's going to be tough. Oh, I gosh, Shveshi, hopefully he's okay. Oh, oh, there we go, folks. Quickly going back here. We're bouncing around a little bit here. I just got looked at my Twitter here. NHL player safety just announced Joe Thornton has been suspended. One game for a check to the head on Tomas Nosek. Good. Okay. Moving on. So I was right on that one, by the way. I said one because Nosek was okay. It was a headshot. Repercussion. Good. Keep her moving. Back to Carolina in Washington. Mrazek played a lot better in game two. Made some big stops. Carolina really hung in there. And uh, that overtime, uh, overtime. Brett Pesci, what? That's a bad pinch, guys. Watch the game. Watch that whole sequence happen. Brett Pesci causes a bad pinch, loses a stick, has to get a stick from his, from his te- one of his teammates. Brooks Orpik, of all people, a one-timer that squeaks through Mrazek, who, don't forget, Mrazek was screened on the play by his own guy, Pesci. That's just a tough way to end a hockey game, too. Mrazek played so well, too, and having a bad goal, that isn't his fault, go up against him to end the game. Tough way to lose it. And Brooks Orpik, guys, I mean... I don't want to, you know, give where Washington's like, hey, you know, let's think of an underdog story. Brooks Orpic guys, was traded to Colorado with Philip Grubauer to Colorado, so Colorado would buy him out, so then Washington could sign him for less. Almost thinking, not saying that Orpik isn't a good defenseman, but that the Caps didn't think he was worth as much as he is, and here he is getting a game-winning goal in the playoffs. I, I think that's worth a clap here, clap here, clap, here, clap your hands here, clap your hands, fans. But uh, game three tonight, Carolina's got the home ice. I think I picked Carolina. I think to win this game, to win one, but Washington's experience will just help them out a little bit. I like them a lot more than I do. I think Washington will end end it in five, just because I just don't think Carolina's gonna have the juice. It'll be fun to watch Carolina, but it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting series. If Carolina can pull out one, maybe if they can pull out two at home, you're right. There is that puts that little seed down in Washington. But I think now that Washington's won the cup. They know how hard it is to get there, and they do have that experience over Carolina. Yes, there's you know guys like Dougie Hamilton's been in the playoffs before, razick has been in the playoffs before, but they haven't had success in the playoffs. Whereas that pretty much that whole Caps team has done it. They've done it. So I like to see how that series is going to go moving forward. Staying in the Metro Division, Islanders and Pens. Holy cow. Okay. so Remember how I said earlier how Mark Stone has more goals than Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh has five goals in this series. Five. Sidney Crosby has zeros across the board. A couple of minuses here and there, of course. But look at it this way. We keep saying that how the worst, the team that allowed the most goals against last season in the NHL went to the Jennings Trophy. That's not a joke. And, yes, credit where credit is due. Leonard and Grice have been probably the best tandem in the NHL this season. Not a, There's no question. Nobody's doubting that one bit. But it changes with Barry Trotz. And, yes, you can say having Lou Lamorello come in there and help out and get a couple players. Like, yeah, Kamarov and Martin have been big. Get the physicality back in the team. Have a little feistiness as well. Cal Clutterbuck's been playing like the old Cal Clutterbuck. A little bit more speed, it looks like. A little more jump in his step, which is big. Looking like he did back when he was in Minnesota. But having that defensive mindset, everyone talks about Matty Barzell not scoring. Well, yeah, in the series he's playing really well, but who cares? Stevie Eiserman took how many years to realize he doesn't need to score to win a championship? Matty Barzell's learning this in his second season. This is—I mean—it's good for the kid and it's good for this team because they're beating a Penguins team that some people still picked because of experience. I just thought this Islanders—I didn't listen. I didn't think it was going to be a. Lance, yes, it's not over yet. I will say that. It is not over yet. But this Penguins team is just... They they can't get anything. I mean, whenever they do get a shot through, it's Leonard. And Jordan Eberle is playing big, getting the big minutes that he could have had with Edmonton. And everyone says, oh, he got all the time in Edmonton. Yes, when he was on a really bad hockey team. Pre-McDavid, folks. Matthew Barzell is playing well. Captain Anders Lee is looking good. I, I like the way... The Islanders are playing. They're playing a simple game, playing hard, playing physical, lines three and four, and having the top two lines create all the offense. Simple hockey, simple what we brought up on when we were kids. They're doing it right. Their goaltender's playing big, and boy, I would like to think Pittsburgh would win a game, win game four tomorrow night, but I would not be surprised if the Islanders do it. Listen, that team is so defeated, Pittsburgh is. And for all, and I get it, Pens fans, I'd be happy too if your team, I'd be happy, I'd want them to win. And I expect them to win. I mean, they have the winning pedigree. But I understand, yes, it was only two years ago that they won back-to-back cups. But the time is done. I think the Penguins dynasty that we've been looking at is over. You know, it could have been a three-peat last year. If they hadn't lost to Washington, They could have been a three-peat. Who knows? But gosh, I really think that the Penguins, I mean, now let's be honest. Don't forget, folks. The Penguins were two games away from not making, had they not beat, had they not split with Detroit in that home-and-home home they had, it could have easily have been coming down the last game, game 82 for the Penguins, if they simply make the playoffs. So, no, I think, I mean, yeah, you always look and think, oh, Pittsburgh will pull a rabbit out of the hat and make it, but I don't think so, guys. I don't think they do it this year. I think the Islanders team is just too good right now. And, gosh, I just don't. I'm not saying the Penguins are not going to make the playoffs next year. I'm not going to say that. Because who knows what will happen next year? Who knows if Carolina going to be good again next year? I mean, who knows if Florida's going to be better? Who I mean, it's a whole kit and caboodle of what could happen next year. But the Islanders are looking just so good right now, and this series could be over really fast. Moving over to another series that can be over really fast, and a series that nobody, and I mean nobody, thought would happen if you said that this was going to happen you're a liar I'll put you on a lie text I'll put money on anyone that said jackets will sweep and I'm not talking about the drunk uncle at the end of the bar at the local pub that nobody goes to because it's all shady with bikers and stuff I'm talking about legitimate people that know the game and know the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning 62 win Tampa Bay Lightning Columbus who despite stacking up and getting the best talent they could at the trade deadline barely made it to the playoffs. Columbus is up 3-0. 3-0. I mean listen, game and listen, I, I will say it. I tweeted about it. I said game 1 after Tampa went 3-0, I said geez Columbus. I was like I threw I'm like was it even worth getting into the playoffs to lose in three games cuz that's what it looked like. They were down 3-0 quick in that first period. But second period, John Tortorella with a clutch move, keeping Bobrovsky in, not putting in, not throwing in the towel yet. They come back, they get a goal, they go into the third period down one or down two. All right, they're coming back, and then next thing you know, bang, they tie the game. All right, okay, this team's here. They're in. They're in it right now. They're in the game. Holy cow! Who would have thought? And then Seth Jones scores the. Go ahead, and they get the job done. And, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, okay, wow. Well, Tampa took, okay. And everyone's like, okay, well, Columbus won game one. Caught him off guard. Tampa's going to come out better in game two, right? Wrong! Holy cow, where was Tampa? Were they already on their way up to Columbus for game three? Because they didn't show up in that game. It was a... Bobrovsky was incredible, yeah, but I mean, look at it this way. The Duchesne... And Panarin combo is finally looking good. And Cam Atkinson line, that line is finally clicking. They are finally doing what they were intended to do when Duchesne came over. Yeah, Dzingel hasn't had the greatest series himself, but you know what? I mean, you really don't need to when you have your top line clicking like this. I mean, they and they held with them. It wasn't like Tampa was outplaying them either. Columbus was hanging in there. Shots were 27-24 in game two. And Columbus wins 5-1. Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky, I don't give anything on game one. Columbus came storming back. I don't blame a single goal on it. Game two was atrocious. That was piss poor by a Tampa up and down the ice. They could not hang with one of the, the eight seed in these playoffs. I, But credit where credit is due, Columbus came in and dominated. Then fast forward to last night. Big game back in Columbus. Home ice advantage now. And man, they got it done. Columbus did. They did everything they needed to do. They go up 2-0. Andre Palat scores early in the third, put a little bit of doubt. Down one. And then Sergei Bobrovsky shuts the door. Sergei Bobrovsky all of a sudden becomes the same Vesna goaltender we saw a couple years ago. He played outstanding. Looked phenomenal. Stopped 30 of 31. My goodness, if that goal in my plot, gets a sh- shutout. Cam, Aske- Cam Atkinson gets probably the biggest empty net goal in the history of Columbus Blue Jackets lore, give or take what happens tomorrow night. But, man, I you know what? Yeah, I picked Tampa. My brother picked Tampa. 95% of the world picked Tampa. The only 5% are people that live in the Ohio- state of Ohio, I did not think Columbus had a shot in this series. I didn't think Columbus even had a chance of staying in the series. It should have been an over and four, maybe five, because Columbus will win because of the cannon. They have a cannon. But goodness gracious, they have pulled something out of their behinds. And the best thing about it, you look in a 3 0 series, the team may get overconfident thinking they're going to coast to a game for a win. The best thing that Columbus has going for them not right, right now, with the exception of their top line clicking, with the exception of Sergei Bobrovsky playing out of his mind, the defense sacrificing their bodies, playing big time on the back end, is John Tortorella behind the bench. Like I said, the big move to keep Bobrovsky in game one, huge. But the fact of the matter is that Torts knows how to win series. He knows how to close series. Yes, you're right. He won a Stanley Cup back in 4 You're right. He didn't get the job done when he had two chances with the Rangers in 2012 and 2014, the two best chances with Lundqvist. I get that. I understand. He's won a cup, and that was before the, the year-long lockout. But he knows that he can get this team to focus for one more game. He can get this team to stay focused, to win in one more game, and knock out the best team, not just the NHL, one of the best teams in the history of the NHL. This is not a team that won 55 games and won the present trophy by a few points. This team dominated from the get go. This team, I, I heard Gord Stellick say in Hockey Central at noon, he compared the regular season to of the Tampa Bay Lightning to Secretariat's to win at the Belmont Sakes, where he won by 31 lengths, back to win the Triple Crown many years ago. Okay? That's how good this Tampa team was. An emphasis on was. This Tampa team looks defeated. This Tampa team looks burnt out, like I said, during the regular season. I said it. Could this team burn out? Did I think they were going to burn out like this? Absolutely not. I did not think that this Tampa team was going to flame out in three, in possibly four games against the lowest seed, the eighth seed, the second wildcard team in Columbus. I did not think that. I thought, you know, when they play whoever wins the Toronto-Boston series, maybe they would finally get over Tampa, or if Tampa once again loses in the conference finals. I thought that's what would happen. I did not think that this team would have ran out of gas so quickly like they have done in this series. And you know what? The best part is John Cooper trying to stay calm, trying to keep the team focused. He is, his, his behind's under the gun right now, guys. I remember I talked about Babcock with Alex a couple of weeks ago that if the Leafs don't win this series, that his job may be on the line. John Cooper's maybe as well, despite the fact that he just want, had the best season. Now, yes, you're right. Scotty Bowman was stayed with the 96 wings. I get that. So, yes, John Cooper probably won't get fired. But if John Cooper can't get it done with this team, this dominant hockey team, I don't get it. I mean, we can yes, can we attest to the fact that Victor Hedman's not 100%? Probably yes. That's the reason why he sat last night because, and he probably won't sit tomorrow. I wouldn't expect him to play tomorrow either. He's not 100%. Clearly, he's still a little, lip, little rattle in the brain. Yes, Kucherov didn't play last night. Because he did a dumb play. did the Nazem Kadri from last year. Only got one game, though. I've already said my piece on that to many other people. I don't need to get into that. Kucherov with a dumb hit up against the boards against a defenseless player. Deserved the game suspension. He'll be back for game four. The offense is going to have to pick it up. Tampa can do it. Listen, it's been done before. It's been done twice in recent memory. 2010, Philly did it against Boston. 2014, LA, on the way to their second Stanley Cup, did it against San Jose. It's possible But if Columbus just can just settle things down and pull it out, just play tough, play focused, play relentless, play like the way he did in games one, two, and three, this series will be over tomorrow night. I did not think I was ever going to say that. But, man, this series could be done in four games and the Tampa Bay Lightning before anyone else is going to be swept. And, of course, they're playing almost at the – well, let me actually check here to confirm – schedule for tomorrow night. So the Blue Jackets and Lightning play at 7 o'clock. Islanders and Pens play at 7.30. So if Islanders win and Blue Jackets win, technically, yes, folks, the Tampa Bay Lightning will be eliminated first. Just let that headline kind of get ready in your brain. Now, I, I think, let's put it this way. I have a better, I have more faith in the Lightning to pull out a win or two or even come back in the series than they do Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh may win tomorrow night. It's, I mean, you're, you're in your front of your home crowd. Tampa's not, don't forget. Tampa's on the road in Columbus with a cannon. And Trevor Moore just scored for the Leafs, which is the perfect segue to get into this series. Trevor Moore scores at the 238 mark of the second period. Leafs are up 1-0 at home. And boy, this series has had two very different stories. Let's go to game one. Game one in Boston. Yeah, you think big crowd, heavy hitting, good, what? Wait, fast pace and the the Leafs are, uh, 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 the Bruins are caught in the mud and holy cow, Tampa's, excuse me, Tampa. I'm so used to yelling about Tampa. Toronto's skating all over these guys. The Leafs played the game they needed to play. They played fast. They played agile. They moved the puck well. They got pucks to the net. Freddie played huge in the second period. Man, how about that? At least one they win for yeah, they had a 4-1 lead and they held it in the TD Garden. Yes, it was an empty net goal at the 4-1 for one goal, but nonetheless. Mitch Marner, two big goals. Alright, at least we're up 1 0. Brad Marchand comes out, chirping like he always does, saying, Hey, we didn't think it was gonna be this hard. Well, thank you, Pinocchio. For that lovable comment. And yes, you're right, you already know what happened? Boston came and played their game in game two. They brought David Backus in. Everyone's kind of chuckling. How good is this guy going to be? Well, seven hits in the game. The hitting picked up. The Leafs did huge, and Brad Marchand just took a dumb penalty. But the biggest part is... No, he did not. Excuse me. The refs let him do something dumb. Okay, I forgot. It's the playoffs. We'll get to that in a second. But they play more physical. Boston was able to get the big goals. And then... I You know what? Let's just kind of get into it here. The, the penalties in the game... I, listen. I understand it's playoff hockey, and where everyone says the refs should be calling penalties. Listen, these refs who do get paid a lot of money do not want to be. They do not want to be blamed for allowing an overtime goal in a power play, or allow, calling the penalty that dis, that determines a game. No ref wants to do that. Okay, understand that. Just remember, ever, anyone ever says blaming the refs and getting on the refs, just everyone has to take that with a grain of salt. Would you want to be calling a game like that? Would you want to be the one that determines a series? No. And yes, you say it's game two. Well, momentum. That's all I can ever say about that. So, that said, this series, was I knew it was going to be tough, and I knew if the Bruins played their game, the Leafs would get a little frazzled. But you know what? The Bruins did exactly what they had to do. Do I think the David Pasternak hit could have been more? Maybe. You know, I... I, the hit on Muzzin, it was a high hit. It was I'm glad it was called for a charge. If it had been let go, I would have been very disappointed. And I know some people said, well, that's playoff hockey. Well, you can't leave your feet to hit a guy. So that was a good call. Do I think it was going to be a spendable? No, because it wasn't a head check. It was Muzzin's head going into the glass. So it, charging, boarding, whatever. Uh, Bruins just tied it up, by the way. David Krejci. Of course it was Krejci. Anyways, um, I was, I w- I'm glad they called a penalty on that one. So I was okay with that. Going to the knee on DeBrusque or DeBrusque on Cadre, I thought that was kind of it – was, it was garbage. It's, something should have been called on that play. It was a knee-on-knee. Knee. Whether or not it was intentional or not, I don't you – you have to call something. Like there are some hooks and interferences that were kind of called too that were kind of questionable the way the playoffs were going to be called, but then you don't call a knee-on-knee. Knee. Call it a trip or something, you know? I'm not saying kick DeBrusque out and give him a suspension. Just call something. Which then eventually leads us to Nazem Kadri. By the way, I will say this. Nazem Kadri's having a really good game in Game 2. Playing tough, playing fit. This was his kind of game. He got got the goal to put the Leafs within two. And the Leafs were seeming like, oh man, they may actually come close. They may actually have a good end of this this game to carry into Game 3 at home. Whether or not they tied it, who knows. Kadri gets the goal. A couple shifts later. Patty Marlowe gets put into the glass, the, the the curved glass. The reason why the curved glass is there is because Patchetti's career almost got ended by Zidane O'Chara. Back when Zidane O'Chara could sort of skate, um, not skate like a moose like he does now. But I like to think, I mean, part, Patty Marlowe is okay. It was, it was a hard check in the boards, over the boards, into the glass, at the curved glass. Patty Marlowe gets up. Yeah, his head went first in the glass, but he was okay. He got up. He kept playing. He played the rest of the game. The Nazem Kadri, as my good friend, well, not my good friend, but friend of the show, Steve Dangle, said the red mist came. It happened last year with Tommy Wingles. It just, you just saw it, and I, as, soon, as soon as I saw where Kadri was on the ice, and don't forget, DeBrusque, and Kadri went back to Game 1 when Kadri, everyone said he slew-footed DeBrusque. I thought that was BS. It was a good clean check along the boards. They'd been battling all in Game 2, tackling each other, wrestling each other, as Jim Houston called it, WWE, in between the two. But as soon as DeBrusque hit Marlowe, had it been someone else, who knows? I'm not quite sure what would have happened. But getting to the hit, Kadri, where he was standing, goes right over and cross-checks Jake DeBrusque right upside the head. Did I think that that was... No, excuse me. Let me rephrase that. It was a dumb play. Kadri deserves everything he got. He got suspended for the rest of the first round. Did I, Do I have any defense for him? No. But I will say this, folks. I have said it for years, and I've said it before. The reason why people do this, not just hockey players, people in general, they have that quick snap I will tell you right now, it's an animalistic tendency. Just remember, folks, that we are still part of the mammal species, okay? We are a mammal species. We have animalistic tendencies. By that, I mean, we do things out of rage, out of emotion, out of dumb things like that. Kadri, in this moment, I guarantee you, whether people say, oh, he knew what he was doing. And I will say this, Maybe not. Now, hold on, hold on. Before you st- before you turn this off, hold on, stop. What I'm saying is people in rage, in anger, in heavy emotion will snap and do things without them knowing. It happens, okay? Now, yes, that said, yes, Kadri got everything he deserved here. He should have been called. It was a dumb play. Some people can control it more than others. As we've seen, Kadri has not. He's not done it in the past. So I just – I want to I, – I am – I'm glad the NHL did the right thing and suspend them. They suspended them the rest of the first round, so which could be three to five games depending on how the series between Toronto and Boston goes. But I am not a fan of – I'm not a fan of the play. And this is where – I don't want to get it and say this is, could be where, you know, the instigator rule becomes a factor because, you know what, if the players knew they could fight – Kadri would have dropped the gloves and gone after him, okay? If the instigator rule is not in play in fear of a penalty... Now, yes, you say, in fear of a penalty, well, he did that. I understand that, beside the point. This is a play that could have been avoided if Kadri could have just fought the, dropped the gloves and got and took care of it like that. Savard said it on the show today on Hockey Central at noon. Um, I heard a lot of people... I was listening to one of my other shows, and a lot of people are talking about the same thing. If they're allowed to fight may be different. It may have been a different outcome. So that said, yes, Kadri got everything he deserved. I agree with the play. Boston gets game two, well-deserved. DeBrusque and Torrey Krug, who remember, got rocked by Jake Muzzin in that game two. They're both in line up here tonight, so they're okay. But I am interested to see how this is going to go now. There's a lot of people that are wondering if the Leafs don't win this series. Is that Adam Kadri's last game as a Toronto Maple Leaf? I don't know. Listen, what he has, what he possesses, if he, if he can just control his anger. I mean, he's 30 years old, so he's not like he's a young rookie. Not like Matthew Kachuk, who you know, does have the reputation for kind of running around a little bit. He should know better, absolutely. There's no question. But do you still take a chance on him? Do you, if you're Kyle Dubas, do you keep him if the Leafs don't win this series? Now, yes, if the, if the Leafs come back and win the whole gosh darn thing, knock on wood, and Kadri is MVP. You're right. Yes, he stays. Absolutely. Tom Wilson is an example. Yes, Tom Wilson's a little faster. You know, he has maybe a bigger shot than Kadri. But that Kadri is the Wilson for the Leafs, as Wilson is the Capitals. So I don't know in terms of that debate of whether or not it's Kadri's last game if the Leafs don't win this series. But man, I just that was that's just it's tough to watch because I've I've loved Kadri. He's the longest-tenured Leaf, and that's just not, that's not the reason why I love him. I loved him when he was there because he played for, a, played for London. So, yes, I knew about him before he came to the Leafs. Worked his butt off to get through the Brian Burke um, brass to get a shot because Leafs management, when he was with the Marlies, did not want him up with the Leafs. When he was tearing it up with the, tearing it up with the Marlies, he never got a shot, never really got a good look. Gets in his first, I think, his first quote-unquote full year in 2013 when he almost was at a, what, I think it was like 30-some-odd goal pace when he was playing with Joffrey Lupul, gets to the playoffs, plays a big role in the series against Boston in 2013. He's always been one of my favorites, and I hate to see that, that that this may be how, A, he goes out, and B, how he may have, I'm not saying he costed Leafs the series because there's plenty of hockey left, but how it could negatively affect Leafs in this series. It's tough, but it is what it is. So now we come to the final portion of today's episode. This may get a little loud. Okay? So, I don't know if you guys have been following the WIHF Women's World Championships, World Hockey Championships, but they ended on Sunday, and Finland was in it. Finland was in the gold medal game. How did they get there? How did they get there, you ask? I'll tell you how they got there. They beat Canada! What? How'd they beat... Yeah, they beat them, all right. They were... They... Finland had in such an incredible tournament. Jenner Hurikoski, 10 points in the tournament, 2 goals, 8 assists, MVP, best defender in the in the tournament as well, was huge for Finland. They had a team effort. They played phenomenal. They got the job done when they needed to. They played good, honest hockey. And they beat Canada fair and square. And you're right. Am I bummed to see Canada lose? The bron- Canada ended up winning the bronze medal beating Russia... 7-0 in the bronze medal game. Do I, do I not like to see Canada make it to the gold medal game? Absolutely. I, I'd, I'd love to see Canada if they got there. But remember this, folks. The fact of the matter is, is that the knock on women's hockey has always been, it's been a two-headed monster. It's always been Canada and the United States. Every year. And you know what? Deservedly so. Because Why? Because they always have the best teams. There's a reason why you want to see more parity because you want the game to grow. The game does not grow if one team wins it every year. Two teams win it every year. And I'm glad to see Finland get in there. Finland doing a really good job They get to the gold medal game. That in itself was big. In women's hockey, which has had an incredible run, this year, with all the, the All-Star game, the CWHL having the best numbers. Yes, the CWHL folded. That's we've already gone that. Yes, here, here or there, The NWHL is well getting a lot of exposure. But it's it's been a great year for women's hockey. Now, we get to the gold medal game. It's 1-1 in overtime. Oh boy, it's gonna be first of all, Finland forcing overtime against the heavily favored American team. American team that has won. Four straight world championships, which does include, of course, the gold medal, because that's how they work, the world championships for women's hockey. The, world, the gold medal in the Olympics counts as the world championship that year. Four straight. They're trying to make it a 5P. Are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be able to get the job done against a Finnish team that really, I don't want to say had no, like I said, deserved to be there, but was heavily outmatched, heavily outfavored. They get in, and Finland's there. A few minutes left in overtime. Here comes Jenny Herakoski, streaking in the zone, takes a shot, saved by Alex Rigsby. Puck is loose, and finally loose, Puck is Petra Niemann, who puts it in the net, and they score, and Finland wins their first ever IHF Women's Hockey Championship. An incredible moment in Espo Finland, mind you, in front of the home crowd that's going crazy. The crowd's going, wait, they're going to do what? They are going to review it. And I mentioned him earlier, Steve Dangle. He always would joke whenever the Leafs had a bad review or a dumb review, how is it gonna what's gonna happen when a game-winning goal in overtime in the Stanley Cup final determines is determined on a review? Folks, we had an example here this past Sunday. A review that for for felt like forever. Don't forget, Finland has still has their gloves off, sticks, helmets, they're going nuts. The crowd now is sitting there thinking, what the heck's going on? And Rod Black from TSN was saying, this is not good. And he, of course, he was on with Cheryl Pounder, former uh, Women's World Championship gold medalist. They were both saying it's a goal. They both know the rules, especially international rules, which, yes, are different in terms of uh, crease violations, rules like that, little tiny rules. Everyone is almost certain that it's a goal. The ref, after what seemed like forever, comes out and says, Go- no goal. Okie dokie. So now we have ourselves a good old-fashioned controversy. So I put so I put the screen grab on my Twitter page, and it was on the, the show's Twitter page as well. The screen grab of what happened when Hirakoski bumped Rigsby. Okay? And you can clearly tell that yes, her foot is in the crease, okay? So let me actually let me pull up. The IHF pulled out a statement for the rules. I'm going to read the whole thing here, so bear with me. It's going to be a little longer here. The International Ice Hockey Federation has issued the following statement concerning the disallowed goal that occurred during the overtime period of the 2019 Ice Hockey. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So all goals that were scored during the tournament were reviewed by the double Video Goal Judge Operations. The Team USA, Team Finland game was reviewed and the goal was disallowed by the video goal judge due to non-incidental goaltender interference. Non-incidental goaltender interference is the quote. So, two IHF playing rules were considered in this instance. According to Rule 186 verse Goaltender and Goal-slash-Goal-crease disallowed, quote, an attacking skater who makes contact other than incidental with a goaltender who is out of his go- his or her goal crease during a game action will be assessed a minor penalty for interference, if a goal is scored at this time, it will not count. According to Rule 183 Section 2, or Article 2, Protection of a Goaltender, Incidental contact is allowed when the goaltender is in the act of playing the puck outside his or her goal crease, provided the attacking skater makes a reasonable effort to minimize or avoid such contact. Now, the IIHF continues their statement by saying, "Quote: Taking these two rules into consideration, the IIHF video goal Judge operations determined that the goal must be disallowed. During the play, the on-ice official called a penalty for tripping on the USA goaltender. Penalties that are assessed on ice are not reviewable by a video goal judge. The video goal judge cannot assess or cancel a penalty. The decision to uphold the penalty was made by the on-ice official. So we come back to the play. I don't know what to think here. Here comes Koski. She's going for the puck. The goaltender is coming out, Rigsby is coming out to play the puck, okay? She's coming out of her crease, and if you watch, you can watch the play 100 times over, and yes, you see the overhead view of having her leg was in the crease, so you can almost say that, yes, she was in the crease, okay, her leg was in the crease, which so would be goaltender interference. Here is where the problems begin. If you do watch it close, you can see that her pad actually does come up before Herakoski makes contact, which... I'm not going to get into the offside rule because the whole foot up, the foot off the ice, foot up the ice thing, whatever, that can be determined for another day. So I don't think that rule is determined. At least it is not looked at in this play with the leg in the crease, whether it's up or down. The problem I have is you watch. By the way, the refs in this game were Nicole Hertrich and Lacey Sanook. And I can tell you right now, these two will never call another double IHF women's hockey game ever again because of this. I guarantee it. It's stupid. The ref in the corner, you can watch the playback, the arms up in the air, she points goal. She points goal after clearly a penalty was had. So what you're telling me here, folks, is that Rigsby tripped Hirokoski, meaning that there was a delayed penalty against the Americans for tripping, which means... That the play continues until the Americans touch the puck, which they didn't. And the puck was put in the net by Niemann, implying that it was a goal. You're telling me that Finland gets screwed out of a world championship because some video goal judge says, well, maybe we should call it goaltender interference, in, not incidental, simply because of the fact that there was a goal score when the goaltender was made contact, even though it was the goaltender who tripped the player in the first place. Are you kidding me? Finland gets gypped out of a championship because of what? Because someone says that, hey, just because what the ref says, clearly the ref that we're trusting to call this game properly made the wrong call. But we're going to call it, we're going to keep the, oh yeah, they keep the tripping penalty, by the way. They keep the penalty against Rigsby. It's almost a gosh darn consolation prize. This is Bush League, guys. I don't care. Listen, credit where credit is due. The United States won in a shootout. They've won back-to-back world championships in shootouts. That's how we should, that's how to end a gold medal game. Great job, America. Come on, guys. You can't be serious. This is not how you end an incredible hockey game. It costs a team a gold medal by a review. And they still call the penalty for a trip, which means that should be a goal. Listen, I, I, okay, yes, I've hashtag played the game. And yes, sometimes the rules befuddle me, but that is a goal. If I am, if I know that, yes, if you can argue the fact that there is a trip, if you're a goaltender, you're arguing that you're a trip. I I would be a goaltender too. I'd be in the same boat. But the problem I have is if you think that it's a tripping penalty, the ref should be able to stick with that. If you don't like the goal, guess what you can do? You can say no goal. You can wave it off. You can do the non-incidental goaltender interference rule. You can wave it off. Then wave it off. Don't allow this to happen. You can say no goal. I don't get it. The fact of the matter is, is that Finland, like, like, let's be honest, if the goal had been disallowed because goal interference, which is called right away, I would have been okay with that. I would have been content. Would I have been mad that the Americans won in a shootout? Absolutely. But the problem I have is that the call on the ice was going to be a trip against Rigsby, which ended up being a goal. Because of the fact that Rigsby tripped Herikoski, I don't, I don't understand this game. I've played it for 20 years. I love this game to death. But the people that run it are the ones that are the issue why the game continues to just spin in the mud and people are still confused. If you told me, if I explain this to someone that doesn't watch hockey, they say, wow, you can't hit the goaltender, Right. Right. But what if they call tripping on that goaltender? Well, that makes sense because she went out to play the puck outside of her crease. Yes, her leg was in the crease. We're not blind, though, dummies. Okay, we can see that her leg's in the crease. But she goes out of her crease to play the puck, and so she was going to be called for tripping. You can't change your mind on the fly like that. I understand it's a bang bang play. You're the ref in a tight game like this, big moment. Yes, you're right. You know what? You don't want to make the bad call. Guess what? Carey Fraser will be never will always be reminded of Game Six in '93. Okay, everyone will never will always go up we'll never see Kerry Fraser you know what that's I'm born in 95 and I will look at Kerry Frazier and said remember that call you missed in 93 I will always he will always have to go down with that and the officials in this game will always have to go down with the fact off ice on ice officials doesn't matter they will always have to go down knowing the fact that they screwed Finland. And by the way, before we finish this whole thing about before I wrap up my final thoughts, Shame on the NWHL and shame on all the NHL t- social media teams out there that congratulated the Americans. Because the NWHL was panicking. Holy cow, our American girls can lose. By the way, there are people that, you know, there are uh, professional women's hockey players and from Finland. Just letting you guys know, I should, probably should mention that. The problem I have here is that they said, well, of course, the NWHL, they were t- live tweeting about the game, but they completely ignore the fact, they just said the Finland goal got disallowed without acknowledging the fact that, you know what, maybe that call was wrong. Because it was. But then, all these NHL social media teams, who are probably sitting there watching Tiger Woods win the Masters instead of watching the actual game, have the gall to congratulate the team without actually knowing what happened. Guys, get real. I'm not the most social media person and social media savvy person in the world. I do run social media for a racetrack, and I do help out with social media for Davenport University, but I will tell you this right now, at least I know what I'm tweeting before I tweet something like that. I like to think that, hey, congratulations to this team here, blah, 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 and you know, congratulations to them winning. And at least credit Finland for being there or something. They probably didn't even know who was in it. They just saw, hey, America won. Thumbs up, everybody. Woo. They didn't know Finland was there. They probably didn't know what the tournament was. They probably don't even know anyone had the team other than Hillary Knight. Are you kidding me, guys? I'm sorry. I know I kind of went off script there towards the end, but it just, it just annoys me that a team can get screwed, can get gypped out of winning the gold medal. And I lo- and today there are a lot of people saying, you know what? At least Finland was there. They won a silver medal. It's a big moment for women's hockey. And absolutely. Finland getting there and playing in a big moment like that, a big game, getting the opportunity, it's, it's, just, it's the worst way to end a hockey game. I don't know what the exact ruling should be on that one, but the rule should be simple. The call on the ice is going to be a trip, which means the goal should count. Having someone override the ref's decision and still call the penalty, even though they said they cannot reverse a penalty, is pathetic. It is stupid. I don't. I understand what the rules say. I, yes, I read them. I read them to you just now. But if the ref calls a penalty against the American goaltender for tripping, that means the goal counts. And Finland's gold medal champs. The Finnish Hockey Federation's already, the brass has already filed a complaint. They're filing a grievance, which they deservedly should. I mean, I'd feel a grievance too. If someone steals your lunch money or your cookie at lunch, yeah, I'd go to the principal and say, hey, he stole my cookie and my lunch money. I'd get mad too. Obviously a different context, but still, nonetheless. Gosh. <sighs> Absolutely tough. I'm Congratulations to Finland for getting there and putting up with all that and the crowd in Finland, too. Gosh, what a great... That, you know, of course, women's hockey, when it comes back to Halifax next year, the crowd's going to be nuts, pro Canada and all that. But the crowd in Finland, i give them a thumbs up. They were awesome throughout the entire tournament. But all teams involved, it was awesome to watch. Great hockey for sure. Can't wait till next year, but just a horrible way to end a tournament. Huh, well, that's pretty much it for this one. We're going to have another one later this week. I'm going to, at least. I'm going to be previewing the conference finals, at least the semifinals, and the CHL playoffs. Uh, it all determines on how the games go. If Hall- or Niagara and Sioux are playing game six tonight, and if Niagara wins, they win the series. And tomorrow night's game seven between London and Guelph. And so if Niagara wins tonight, I think that means, well, the series will be over. But if the Sioux wins, I think game seven will go to Wednesday night, which means I won't do the show until Thursday. So, obviously, keep in touch with us at the QL Podcast, and we will give them, give you guys all the updates on when our next show will be. Uh, whether or not Alex and I have one later this week or next week, we will keep you updated on that as well. But that is it for this one. Once again, folks, please use the hashtag the Cuel Podcast to give us your thoughts on the playoffs and the Women's World Championship debacle. And tweet us at the Cuel Podcast And let us know what you think we should talk about and what your points are in terms of the playoffs and how they're going right now. And tell us who you're watching, who you're cheering for, and how do you think their team your team is doing. Thank you guys very much once again. I'm Todd Kiel, the insider of the insiders. Thank you for listening to another episode here of the Kiel Podcast. Good night, everybody.